Hey everybody, so we're, we're trying a new thing here, which is we do a little a little cold open. Say hi, Mike. Mike's hey, here. hey. Um, so two things. Just uh, before the show starts, wanted to uh, talk about the fact that we really appreciate your boy Superfluous Motor. Um, on uh, check him out on YouTube. He's going to do the the new intro music. We got new intro music on the this show. This is so Mike. exciting, and it's it's awesome. Yeah. It's jazzy, yeah, classy, yeah. And uh, I think it's really going to add. Uh, more than our old. Yeah, we were going a little avant garde in the wrong direction on the old on the old thing. It was a little, a little <laughs> like every every time we ran the share intro, we got into a fight. Yeah, um, off 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 mic. We everything fun is off mic with us. Our our relationship off mic is terrible. Um, so, but <laughs> it's like Mike and Mike where we don't look yeah. at each other or talk <laughs> yeah. to each other. Um, Except anyways, when the cameras are on. The other thing is we're about to have. Uh, Billy King on the episode. So that's about to happen right now. I'm going to hit the intro and then we're just going to go right into, um, you know, the opening. Welcome back to the Glue Guys. This is Mike here. Say hello, Brian. Check us out on Twitter at BK Glue Guys, Facebook The Glue Guys, NetsDaily.com, Almighty Baller Radio. Brian, Mike, big show today. Big show, new intro again. Give another shout out to this who is that superfluous was. motor. We should put it in the, in the show notes too. But you should definitely check him out. He's got a, a bunch of content on on this band is like camp a on fifty YouTube. minute song. Right? This is he's got a whole album up there. I mean, yeah, it's a long song. Um, but yeah, some like jazzy progressive stuff. It's good. I like it. I think it's perfect for for I think the vibe that we want to have on the show. And Let's I think that it. vibe is like a great '90s sitcom opening yeah. Yeah, <laughs> credit it is. music. It is a little like that. And that's what I want. That's what I want to live in. That was that our happiest. Real... That was when we were at our happiest. Frasier. I never <laughs> watched an episode you're of. Your, you're happiest watching <laughs> Frasier. You know, it's funny. The Emmys was just happening and like there's some weird Emmy stuff. Didn't Kelsey Grammer win Best Male Actor in a Comedy Series Dude, eight years in a row? You, you're the only person that <laughs> watches like or cares about king, this stuff. The king of TV comedy and yeah. no one knew about it. Um, yeah, so we have a big show today, as you said in the cold open, the new cold open that we're going to be doing. Did you like that? How'd that feel? It felt good. Yeah, it felt we're going to get really good. It's more direct to the people, the glisteners out there. We're going to get really good. Um, we're going to have Billy King on the show. Yeah. We're going to call him hopefully soon. Yes. And it should be interesting. Um, we hope to get to a couple of things over his tenure with the Nets. Yeah. But just, you know, we're going to hear him out and see what he has to say. So um, coming up, you're going to hear Billy King with us, Mike and Brian, on The Glue Guys. NetsDaily.com, Almighty Baller Radio, BK Glue Guys on Twitter and Facebook. Nice one, Mike. So I guess just to jump right into it, I was uh, in, in doing research for this interview. I This is going to be a little strange, but saw that you're only 51 years old and that your first job as like vice president of basketball operations with the Sixers was when you were... Like 31, is that correct? 71. I started in uh, 97, 97 as vice president of basketball. Yeah, vice president of basketball administration. The next year got promoted to GM. And then uh, I think uh, six years there. Then after the last four years, I was president of the team and GM of the, the team. So what do you what do you do at like at 28 to 29 to 30 to put yourself in that position? I'm, I'm just asking for advice is really what it is. But. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, well, you know, what I did is, you know, uh, I was fortunate that 
uh, played basketball and was recruited by Larry Brown, chose Duke yeah. over Kansas at the time, and then uh, remained friends with Larry Brown and uh, went to University of Washington after four years at Illinois State. And I've been talking to Larry Brown and opening up and the Pacers as an assistant with him. Yeah. And then while and while there, I spent a lot of time picking Donnie Walsh's brain. During the summer, I always sit with him and with new collective bargaining, just learned a lot of the cap stuff. And then when Larry got the job in Philly, you know, he said, "Hey, you can come be my top assistant or run the front office." Larry had final say, and and so I chose to go with uh, in the front office. And Pat Grochie was like, well, you don't have experience. And I said, well, give me one year and name me basketball vice president of basketball administration. And if if I prove the job, then name me Jim. If not, then I'll move on to harm. And so that's how it all unfolded. I'm writing, I'm writing down that first step is be, be good at basketball. I get that. Uh, yeah, I don't know. If, unfortunately, I don't think I'm going to fulfill that criteria. Um, I do want to ask you some Sixer stuff, too, because obviously those were super interesting years. But um, yeah. so well, you, you know, and one yeah. thing, one thing I, I go back to, and I was very fortunate when I got out there because Tony DeLeo was still there. They kept him on, and the other person, director player personnel was Kevin O'Connor. So the three of us really did it all. Scouted, did the whole thing. So had a great staff along with Larry Brown. So you know, the Kevin left to become GM of Utah, and then Tony ended up with the one year at the Sixers as a GM. So I was fortunate at a young age to have those guys working with me. Uh, and along with Larry. So, and while you were still at a young age, you, Mikhail Prokhorov comes in from Russia, buys the Nets, and then shortly after that hires you to run the team. So at that moment, if you can think back, what was the vision that was laid out or the vision that you pitched to Prokhorov? What was like the mission overall when you wanted to run that team? Well, the one thing I said is that, you know, I believe in a team effort. Uh, that, that comes from my time with Duke. So, whether it be ownership, uh, whoever, you know, I said, we're all going to make decisions together. Avery at the time was a coach. I said, you know, we'll sit down and ultimately have a final say, but I, I believe in a team effort. And when a decision is made, you know, we all stand behind it. And so I said, that's how I like to operate. And and then the, the one thing is they asked me some different questions about different free agents that year because that summer I was not involved. Would I have gone up to different guys? And uh, some of them I said, absolutely not. And they liked the answers. But I think the goal from that point was to try to get a franchise guy, get a, get someone that, to be an anchor um, so that we can build with, because I think you need one of those guys. And you can have a lot of nice pieces, but you need an anchor. Right, and that's where Darren Williams obviously jumped off the page. Um, <clears throat> how did those like conversations begin? Well, you know, we, we really, the first person I went after was Chris Paul, and I don't think anybody ever knew that. That was the first one I went after. Is that right? Uh, and had a lot of lot of conversations with them. Um, and, um, at the time, I think uh, Jeff Bauer was the GM, and then he got replaced. And I was talking to a team president, and he says, well, I'm going to have a new GM in a day, so let's wait and let him talk to him. And that became Dell Demps. And at that time, I don't think Dell was wanted to be his first thing as trading Chris Paul. So right. uh, that didn't go anywhere. <laughs> and, and, you know, then we went after – obviously, they were doing went after Carmelo and, and – and then the Darren Williams thing was there. You know, I had the relationship with Kevin O'Connor, and then that ended up falling into Darren Williams. So Chris Paul was the first target, let's say. Um, would the deal have been similar to the Darren Williams deal? Was that how it was, at least in your mind? We, we had a, quite a few scenarios. And at that time, too, in the summertime, so you could absorb 
we, we had cap space at that time, and there were different things that we were talking about doing to try to help them, and uh, whether it's absorb some contracts to give them space. Um, we had picks, but yeah, it would have been at that time. I think would have been one of those absorbing some, some cap space. Uh, I think they had Pedro Stuyak a few times they, they were looking to move, so I would absorb that contract. So there was there was different scenarios of different because it was in the off season. Yeah. So with regards to getting the franchise guy and building around that, you get Darren Williams, and then the next target coming down the pike is Dwight Howard. Um, what was it like waking up the morning after uh, the, the I guess people commonly refer to it as the Dwight Mayor? Uh, what, what was that like? As far as, I've, as far as I've heard, it's, it was very far along in everyone's mind, and it was quite a surprise uh, the next day. Yeah, well, the next day was a trade deadline, and then we went to bed as a staff. We left the office pretty late and went to bed pretty much – you know, knowing that, hey, you know, tomorrow we're probably going to get Dwight. And, you know, Otis said, let's talk tomorrow to firm it up, what the deal's going to be. And I remember waking up getting a text from, I think, Rick Buecher saying, get Dwight Howard out then. And that was my first indication. And I was like, well, I don't think so. And I reached out to his agent, and he goes, I don't think he did. <laughs> and so, <laughs> you know, and I got, got to the office and called Otis. He goes, I, I haven't heard yet, so we still you know keep working towards the deal and and then he called back but i'll let us see how he did and i said but he says but let's stay in touch oh <laughs> yeah and what did you think when that when he said let's stay in touch and you heard about the opt-in what was going through your head at that time it was it was shock it was just total disbelief because that's something we you know nobody had ever envisioned that he would do that yeah um because because he had all the leverage um but it was it was one that, that, that really threw us off for a loop and and he wanted to be in Brooklyn. I think that at that well, it seemed like it. He well, he wanted to be part of the Nets at the time. At least was the belief leading up to it. Did you think that he did want to come to the team before he opted in? Was that the belief from you guys too? Yeah, that was. That was the belief that that he was gonna. You know, he wanted to be there. Every every indication that we got that he wanted to be there, and so we assumed that he did. And when they opted in, it was it was shocking because he was a day from being in that. Yeah. So I think like, I think that for me is this, is the sort of pivot point from where there seems to be uh, a very concrete plan of where we want to be heading. And then suddenly we have to maybe not appease Darren Williams, but let him know that, that the franchise is serious about winning now with him on board, uh, which leads to uh, the Gerald Wallace trade, uh, I guess, or at least that's, that's what has been reported. Is that, do you think the Gerald Wallace trade is a direct, consequence yeah, of well, that. Yeah, because after I remember talking to Darren that day, after I went up and he was down, and and I knew that for the franchise, we had to, you know, had to keep him. You know, we had to do, you know, to make it so he realized that we were going to be a team that could win. As you can see now, players are on teams that think they don't have a chance to win. They want to leave. They want to go someplace else. Mm-hmm. You know, look at Paul George. He felt that in Indiana, he couldn't win anymore, so he wanted out. So, I didn't want to go and run the risk of that he would, you know, Darren was going to stay if we just say, hey, we're going to play this out and we'll do something in the summertime to, to feed you. Um, so that, you know, so we, the plan then became, let's make sure we're the, the franchise guy at the time. So there there was the, a sense of like, because uh, it's weird, how does that pressure get manifested? By pressure, I mean, the man, the, mm-hmm. the does Darren's agent reach out to you guys or does Darren himself talk to you and say, 
hey, I sort of do want some reinforcements on this team? Or is that just something you innately know that you know that he he wants some guys to run with on the floor? How does that all develop? Well, I, I just well, just knowing you know the player, uh, having he had been there with us, I got to know him, got you know how he was thinking, and and so the sense of he wanted to win, and and I knew just from being around him and, and just talking that day, the body language, and that you know he wasn't going to be happy just even if we shut him down and ride it out and see where we went from there. So then we go, you get Joe Johnson, so you get Jared Wallace, you get Joe Johnson, the team's coming together. Loses to the Bulls in the first round. But wins 49 games. Mike. But wins 49 games. Did you feel, though, that this team, obviously, so then that comes up to a trade that happens later, which we can talk about. But what did you think of the team at that point when they had Joe, when you guys had Joe Johnson, Gerald Wallace, and Darren Williams? Did you feel like you felt like there was another and Brooke level? Lopez. Brooke, and, and Brooke, of course. So we always forget Brooke, right? He's always He's yeah. always been a net, but we always sort of forget that he's always a part of these teams, you know? Um, yeah. What did you think of the team at that point? I thought we were a good team, but I thought we lacked leadership. I thought we needed some some pieces to to give us that leadership, that experience. That, hey, this is what it takes. I've been there, I, you know, and so that's what led to the the trade. How does that develop the trade, the Garnett Pierce trade? How did how does that even kind of happen? Who's the first person to say? Were you? Did you go to Danny and say, "Are these guys available?" Or did Danny basically say, "These guys are available." Well, yeah, I, I reached out because I had interest in Paul Pierce. Uh, because I thought if you can add a Paul Pierce to the team, you know, adding Paul Pierce to Joe, Darren, Gerald, and Brooke would give us that edge, that, that guy that is used to taking big shots into the game. And so uh, I think I had Bobby Marks reach out to uh, their assistant GM and, you know, see if we could, you know, come up with something that would work for Paul Pierce. So then how does Garnett get well, what would have been the deal for Paul Pierce if he could have made it, or was there not was that not an option? No, the deal for Paul it was I think it was Jesus, uh, uh, I think it was Chris Humphrey, uh, Marshawn Brooks, and a first. Gotcha. And then how did Garnett get folded in? How did, how did sort of then how did it sort of move from Paul Pierce to then Garnett and Pierce? Because I'm sure that was at the time that was super intriguing to have Garnett as well, especially if you wanted leadership. Yeah. Well, and I think some there were some within the group said, "What about Garnett?" And you know, and I just said, "Well, let's see if we can figure that out." And then when we did it, you know, showed it to people, and they said, "Yeah, let's let's go for that. Let's let's see if we can make that work." And and so then you start going back and forth and going back and forth, and then you know, Danny and I got on the phone. I think it was uh, probably draft day to try to hammer it out. Yeah. So um, on the basketball court, then. Uh, that 2013 season for me is incredibly intriguing. Like I, we we started the podcast around there, and it was because after that trade, the the hype train. I mean, oftentimes people don't appreciate just how on board with that trade uh, most of the Nets fandom and basketball media at large was. Most people were behind that, and, and were very excited for it. Uh, then the season starts. At what point did you? Like that, that ten and twenty one start, like before the Oklahoma City Thunder game, where Joe Johnson like hits that game winner and things suddenly just start clicking. Um, what was the energy like throughout that beginning of the portion of the season? Like, what at, at what point were? Well, yeah. Well, I think when when Brooke got hurt, yeah, that really you know, really I mean, we were in Philadelphia time, and I found that Brooke got hurt. That's when I think you know, okay, 
this could be trouble here because I thought Brook was an integral piece because you know he could score when with all those other pieces it would you know it would open it up more for him and I think when he got hurt I was worried but then it allowed us to play smaller I think Paul moved to the four at the time because I, when we were going to have to make a decision at some point on that year if Brook stayed healthy because as as constructed with Brook starting with KG and Paul I thought we were in jail we were really a slow team. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when Brooke got hurt, we, you know, became, you know, more of a matchup problem, with, especially with Paul DeFore. So, um, so even if Brooke didn't hurt, I think we would have had to make a decision on somebody. Somebody was going to come off the bench. Yeah, and like, how did, was basically Jason Kidd responsible for pivoting and, and creating that long ball identity, or was that a, due to a bunch of conversations behind the scenes, or, or did that happen? Like, what, like I'm imagining that's a pretty difficult decision to make. Uh, did he go about it by himself? Well, you know, I, I remember after Brooke got hurt, I, I think I, I gave Jason my thoughts, mm-hmm. um, and and then I'm a believer you let the after you let the coach make the decision, and Jason made that decision, and Jason changed the offense to to fit that personnel the way it was constructed. But um, you know, I, I gave my my suggestions, my thoughts, and then left it up to Jason, and that, I think he made a great decision and changing the offense to fit the personnel. And I think we, we started shooting a lot more threes. It became a team that, you know, took advantage of the three-point line then, too. Yeah. And then the second big pivot in, in the course of your tenure, I attribute it to the summer after. So we lose in the second round to Miami, but there's a lot to be excited about. And then Paul Pierce, uh, we, I guess we don't make a make an offer towards Paul Pierce or, or something happens there. Like, can you walk me through that summer and the – the thinking behind the scenes as to why we we don't bring Bahal Pierce back. Well, I mean, we had went after Paul and made an offer at the beginning. Right. Uh, he thought he could get more, and then when they came back with a number, uh, the decision was made not to to match the number, and Paul chose to go to Washington at that time. Um, I believe from the beginning that when we made the trade, it was a two-year window we had with that group. Right. Because uh, KG's contract was going to come off, and I would have liked to resign Paul. Uh, because I thought that if you brought Paul back, even losing Sean Livingston, we would have been a pretty good team that, that could have gone deep. Yeah. Uh, but but when we didn't, you know, couldn't make an offer to Paul, or at least match what he was getting from Washington, because if, if we would have, he'd came back. Once we did, once that decision was made, then you know we we were. Then I, I think it, it changed our thought process and I think some of the players even thought okay wait a minute what's going on here we were committed and now we're not and when you're saying the decision that the offer wasn't matched that's coming from ownership at that point I imagine not from you is that correct yes the fact that they didn't want to commit the money at that point because I think the belief is that Prokhorov came out sort of like a, a guy who comes into a soccer team and buys up all the talent and expects to win but I think the belief is that he didn't have an understanding of how much he would be paying in luxury tax. So that understanding happened to correspond with the fact that Paul Pierce is becoming a free agent. Was it from ownership that basically they're saying, we're not putting more money into this team at the time? Well, I think there were a lot of factors in play. Um, and, I, you know, I've had discussions with, you know, with them. And there were a lot of other factors that they were, they were in play when that dis- decision was made. Um, so... I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> sure, sure. So you talked about the leadership fact. What kind of impact did Garnett and Pierce have on the team? Did you, did they fill that leadership 
role that you thought that they, they did. They, well, they did from day one when they in September when they came to the gym. They were the first ones there. They were in the gym at eight o'clock in the morning, and by the time a lot of other guys got there, they were done their pre-workout and you know ready to play five on five. Uh, from the standpoint when guys would fall down on the court, KG demanded that his teammates, whoever was close to rest, would pick them up. And that may seem like a little thing, but that's a team thing. That's a bonding thing. Um, from how guys did things on the court, um, KG and Paul would not allow anybody to to not work hard, would not make the extra effort. Um, mm-hmm. And so to me, that's what, that's what I think it, uh, you need. I remember when I came to Philadelphia with Larry Brown, and we had a lot of young guys, Iverson and Clarence Weatherspoon, and what Larry, we brought in Rick Mahorn, uh, as a veteran guy, and Terry Cummings that first year, and and they were that they were the voice in the locker room that when the coach wasn't there, and I think you have to have that. You have to have a guy in the locker room that's telling guys if they're complaining about practice, hey, no, the coach knows what he's doing, and that's what those guys brought to us. How do you think Darren responded to them? Because there's, I think Pierce, he talked to Jackie McMullen. I think it was now three years ago, and he basically threw Darren under the bus about his leadership skills. How do you think Darren reacted to these guys coming into the team? Did he accept that these guys were kind of be the lead dogs, or was there tension? Well, no. I mean, KG and Paul came in right away and said, look, we're here to support Brooke, Darren, and Joe. We're here to support those guys. You know, and and, and they challenged you know, Darren and everybody to be better. Um, and I think what hurt Darren really was starting out the year hurt. Uh, when he came back, his ankle was not resolved, and so missing training camp. And then when the team struggled, then coming back and being on a minute restriction, I think he, you know, guys need training camp. When you miss that whole training camp, especially with a new group, it's tough. And so he really was never part of the group from the beginning. And then when he came back, he was trying to feel his way into the group because when you're in training camp, you're when you're running lines or you're tired on that fifth day there's a bond that's developed and he never was able to develop that bond and throughout the season he got it but not like it could have been if he'd been at the whole training camp yeah some of i think by far my favorite player that i've ever watched live is is kevin garnett i had the good fortune to watch him up close a couple of times and he is the loudest trash talker i've ever seen play basketball is I, i'm a firm believer that like in basketball it kind of amplifies your personality quite a bit and for some people. Um, is is Kevin Garnett as intense? Does that is I feel like that's a kind of personality trait that he just takes everywhere he goes with him. When when he walks in a room, yeah, he has a presence, but it, the intensity is, it comes in before he does. And so you, you you know if he's pulling in the parking lot, you feel the intensity of him, and it, and it doesn't leave until he's you yeah. know gone out of the building. And 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 to, and that's what we needed. We needed that guy if you're playing the Bulls in that first round and you're down to let you know that, hey, you know, we're going to win this and don't, you know, or take the big shot. Uh, And I felt that's what we didn't have uh, with that group. I want to go back to the trade just one quick second. So we we go from the Pierce, it being like Brooks and a first-round pick, Marshawn Brooks and a first-round pick, and then Garnett gets folded in. And I think it's been reported that Gerald Wallace being included in the deal, which he had to be included in, made it another first-round pick. Is that correct, the fact that to, for the Celtics to take Wallace's contract, they had to take a first-round pick, or you guys had to give up another first-round pick? Yeah, I mean, that was, you know, in order to absorb that contract, because what Danny was giving up was Paul wasn't expiring, and, 
you know, Jason Terry didn't have, you know, so it was to absorb Gerald's contract. It was another pick was added. Um, you know, the only, the, the biggest regret, uh, if I had to go back and do it and maybe take time is maybe to sleep on it and take out the swaps because, you know, without the swaps, um, it's still, you get a lot of picks, but I think if you didn't do the swaps, it wouldn't have been as, as bad. Um, and if you reach on Paul, you probably win a few more games. And then, you know, when you're going into the free agent market with a little money and KG comes off, you know, people are looking at their franchise a little different. Right. So that so that's the tough thing about the deal, right, is that the swaps happened and that magnifies it because it makes it look like five first round picks as opposed to three and three first round picks is a lot. But the five is what makes it more. So you you guys looked at it and I imagine there was pressure from ownership to make a big deal. Did you feel that pressure and being like, we're going to put this over the top and we're going to create a franchise that is star driven and we're going to make this big deal because it's going to change the next 20 years of this franchise's perception, I imagine. Well, I, I think so, because going into Brooklyn now, you have this team, you have the, the hype, as you said. But also, if if knowing now that we would not have been able to resign Paul Pierce, you know, would not have done it. Because the, the goal was to have a two-year window, mm. keep Paul the second year, to go along KG and keep going. Um, so not having, knowing that we would not have been able to resign Paul, would not have done it. Um, so then the trade happens, and then you have you bring in Jason Kidd. And though not, I don't know if you did. It could have been an ownership decision. What happened with you and Jason Kidd? There, was, there seemed to be a, a uh, meeting of the minds that turned into something that didn't work out for you two. What was the fr- friction point there? To this day, I really don't know. Um, you know, I, you know, I'm a believer in supporting the coaches, and that's what I tried to do there. So I have no idea where the friction we met a couple times talked about it, and you know, I was given the assurance it was no problem. And so I I could not tell you. Um, Jason and I have talked, and I have no hard feelings. I think I still believe Jason's a hell of a coach, um, and that's what I told ownership after the season. I said he grew this year, and he's going to continue to grow because he's got a great basketball mind, and um, and it's proven out in Milwaukee. I think he's I think he's one of the very good coaches in this league that has a great feel for the game. Well, the other thing that a lot of Nets fans worry about, well, not worry about, well, maybe they should be worried about, but it's Prokhorov. There's still a lot of mystery surrounding him as an owner. What was it like working for him? Is he a hands-on guy? Is he texting you all the time? What was it like working with him and the, the Russians is what we call him? Well, you know, he doesn't have a cell phone, so he, he, he'll, <laughs> exactly. borrow, yeah. he'll, he'll borrow uh, one of his friends that's close by and he's going to call him and, and, and you know, I remember the the day I got the job at the press conference. I kept seeing this number showed up. I knew it was international, but I didn't know it was like seven nine, seven nine. I think Eric Hope. And I kept asking. Nobody in the office knew it was. I didn't answer it. <laughs> but, you know, and, and then Dimitri called me and next day said, you know, later at night said Michael's been trying to get all yes. Okay, well I didn't know the number. Yeah. Um, and, and and you're not so, just going to pick up so an international I, number out of the blind, right? I mean, that would be a yeah. dangerous move. Yeah. Yeah, and so then at that point, every time he called me, I would save the numbers that he called from, so I knew, okay, it could be him calling. Um, but the majority of the time, I, I, I dealt with Dimitri, and that's how it was, uh, you know, directed that I would that I should do. Um, and so I I would speak directly to Dimitri, and he would talk to Prokhorov. And then at times, you know, I started going over to Russia to have meetings and to, you know, to do that. But uh, generally, or when he came to town, we would meet 
I would try to grab them and meet with them then. I think you grew up in Virginia, is that right? Yes. Growing up as a basketball player, you went to Duke, and then you became an executive early on in your career. Did you think that your career would have led you to a point where you're going to Russia for business meetings and basketball reasons? Did, was that something that you thought was going to happen with your career? No, no, no. no. <laughs> I, didn't think, I think my last trip over, I think I, Brett and I flew over together, and we landed at 6 a.m. We started meeting at 10 a.m., and... Um, by the time I had dinner, and there were, I was on a, I think, a 6 a.m. flight out the next day. Oh so I, I never envisioned that I'd be doing that. Uh, you know, in, in Philadelphia, working for Pat Croce, and then Ed Snyder when Pat left, you know, I talked, especially Ed Snyder, to that. Ed and I talked every day, whether he was in California at his residence out there or in Philadelphia. Uh, we would talk every day. And, um, and so that's what I was used to do, talking directly to the owner. Um, so he knew my thinking, I knew his thinking. So when I did a deal, I knew exactly the thought process from the owner because we, I may say, Hey, I may try to do this. And so he knew if I came back today, I could do this. And I didn't have to say, are you okay with it? He, you know, I would say yes on the phone, whoever I was talking to and I'd call him say, we got that done. And so that was a little difference. Just not having that direct and the, and the eight hour time difference was different because if you talk to a team, you know, sometimes on a deadline, you may, the night before, you may talk to a team at, you know, 8 o'clock at night or 9 o'clock at night, mm-hmm. and you got to say, well, i, I got to wait because I can't give you an answer here because i got to wait until, you know, it's morning time over there. And and Dimitri was regularly the, the entry point, like he was the go-between? Yes. Yeah. And was he, like, often in the office with you, or is he generally in Russia as well? He was in Russia, but he came over quite a bit, and so we talked. But Dimitri, we talked quite a bit there at times and he's doing the Carmelo thing I would stay up and talk to him at you know maybe one o'clock my time in the morning and he's waking up and then I would talk to him again that you know mm-hmm. the, the next morning at six or seven when I woke up um you know because it's middle of the day for them so uh we talked quite a bit ultimately when you think back on the team like what was so we talk about Carmelo trade could have happened. The Chris Paul trade could have happened. Like your dream team for the Nets that you could have constructed within reason. What's the one you think back to and said, you know, if those two moves have happened, this is what the team would have looked like. What's the dream? Well, vision? if we could have got Dwight that 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 day and that, and that deal, because he, even though it, for Dwight has been rocky ever since he left Orlando, but I think if we could have got Dwight to go with Darren, um, it would have been pretty good because we still would have flexibility to build going forward and they were young enough so that would have been the ideal one and that's what we had been planning on all along so um are you still watching a lot of basketball are you going to be watching a lot of basketball this season yeah i am i'm you know hoping to continue to do some work with nba tv i've been talking with uh some other people doing tv work um you know and i watch it Uh, the good thing i moved back down to our house in philadelphia so yeah, I'm 15 minutes in Villanova, and I've been playing Jay, so I'm sure I'll see a lot of Villanova games, and uh, yeah. but you know, and I'll be able to go to a lot of Sixer games and NBA games. You know, it's, it's something that I love, and so I'll watch it. And um, I'd like to get back in because I think I have a different perspective than I did when I took the next job, yeah. uh, and how I like to do it. I think the biggest regret looking back on everything is I thought a player development could have been it was good a while there but I thought it should have been better and looking mm-hmm. back on it because I think that's where the league is going uh, I thought John Welsh when he worked for us did a great job um, uh, especially turning around Bogdanovich that year when he did uh, getting him to play but I, I you know, going in I would express the ownership that we have to invest 
much more in player development. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, because that is where, you you know, San Antonio has made their, their hay, Miami. Miami does it probably, and they, nobody gives them credit, but they've been doing it for years where they find guys that everybody could have had, mm-hmm. but they develop them and they become great players. So how do you think, like, with regards to that, how do you think that where, where do you invest to help engender uh, that kind of player growth? Well, I think I think I give Sean and Kenny a lot of credit. I think they're starting to do it. I think they've done a heck of a job in assembling pieces. But they, you know, they do a lot of a lot of with player development. Whether it's with the D League team that you know I was you know pushed and deprived to get that team, and I think Sean has come in and, and Kenny have taken advantage of it. And and that's where you got to do it. But also, I, I think you, you do it within, you know, pre-practice for the guys that aren't playing as many minutes. And even the guys that are playing, you know, I, I think I've been thinking back to my days with Larry Brown, whether it was Indiana as a coach with him or, you know, here in Philadelphia. I mean, and I do believe the head coach has got to be invested in the, in the player development. It mm-hmm. can't be just relegated to uh, – an assistant and the head coach disappears. Mm-hmm. I think the head coach has to be there watching the guys doing their development. They're working because then they're going to work harder. You know, the head coach noticed them getting better. I mean, Larry Brown did it all in Philadelphia. After practice, he'd get young guys and put them through drills where there was Bruce Bowen when we had him first coming in the league. You know, those guys he would work with and or watch him work and talk to them. And to me, it starts with the head coach being invested in it. Mm-hmm. And then you got to have a staff that, that does it. But then I think also you got to chart. Uh, whether it's a medical training, everything, and I think that's where Sean has done a great job of, of you know, investing in that and charting it and getting guys in and working out, and, and, and it helps having the facility I have too, because now guys live right there. They're not, you know, some were living in New York, driving to Jersey, or vice versa. Uh, I think it's, I think, mean, I think they're on the right track there, but I think he's got to have the facility, but then the manager's got to buy in, but the hit. Coach has got to be the one that really buys into it, so the players believe that the head coach believes in them when they're a young player trying to develop. All right, I got two more questions for you, and we'll let you go. I'll let you choose which one you want to do first. You want to do a Duke question first or a final Nets question? This is—they're both fun ones, but it's up to you. Well, I'll start with the Nets question. And I'll finish with the the, the best question. Right, there you <laughs> go. Um, the Nets question is okay. Thing you're proudest of with the Nets and biggest regret with the Nets, sort of just umbrella basic one. Well, I, I think the the proudest thing about the Nets I'm proud with is is getting to the to the you know get from the game against Miami and having a chance to win. I thought that game at home, mm-hmm. you know, we had a chance to win that, um, and you know the facilities. I think it's great, but but I think as if you look at the games, I think playing in that series against Miami, um, and almost you know the game LeBron at forty nine. I think if we'd have won that game, we could have won that series. And and the way LeBron played, he knew that. Um, and probably the biggest regret was the swaps um, because he takes up the swaps. I mean there were other trades, but the swaps there uh, was the one probably the biggest regret. All right, so the due question is, this may not be a fun one, but what will be the coach that takes over for Coach K? Who is the person you're betting on? And is it yourself? No. <laughs> no, it wouldn't be me, but I, I think there will be enough guys out there that, you know, that they should keep it in the family, um, whether it's Johnny Dawkins who's you know, down in Central Florida doing a great job or Tom Amaker at Harvard or Chris Collins at Northwestern, Woj at, out at um, – 
Marquette. Uh, I think they've, they've all have gone on to do great job. Quinn Snyder, Utah. There's some great coaches within the Duke family that have gone on to become head coaches and are doing a great job. Jeff Capel is on the bench, associate coach. If coach retires and still there, maybe the easiest because you're not offending anybody that has a job. Um, and I think, you know, he's done a great job there. So I will leave that to the powers of B, whether it's <laughs> Coach K, the board of, the board of trustees. Um, and the only thing I'd just say is I think they should keep it within the Duke family just because I think that what Coach K has done there, I think the, the brotherhood, as we call it, deserves that opportunity for one of, uh, one of the, our, our own to continue the legacy. All right. Well, thank you, Billy, for joining us. We really appreciate your time. Uh, thank you so much, and uh, good luck with the NBA TV stuff, and I'm sure we'll see you in other places as well. You're welcome, guys. All right, thanks, You're welcome. Bi- thank you. Thanks, Billy. Thanks, Bye. Billy. Bye. All right, well, that was our interview with Billy King. Um, How'd you like that, Mike? That was nice. Yeah, he was super generous with his time. I think he – I think this is – we kind of talked about this beforehand, you and I, that yeah. this is the right time to talk about it because yeah, I think so. there's enough distance. The heat of the moment has passed Yeah, while there still is passion out there. But um, I appreciate that he was willing to basically, it was basically what I was thinking was when you do these interviews with the people who actually make decisions in basketball, it's sort of like how you talk to an actor and run down their IMDb. We basically did that. We just were like, right. You know, here's, Let's do this trade, this trade, this trade. It is, it is interesting, like, talking about things that have happened versus things that will happen. You know, oftentimes when you're doing basketball yeah. interviews, it's kind of predicting the future. But, uh, you know, it's – it's because um, it's also – it's it's difficult to make someone, you know, relive a, a, a thing from, from – this is seven years ago well, for him when he first started. We were asking him questions about, you know. And it's a weird profession, right? It's a – like, yeah. like, because it's, it's the main profession besides politician that you are questioned – constantly <laughs> and then your decisions from the past are carried with you forever right like if you start or if i start a new job for the most part yeah, clean you, slate you can you can put the past behind you <laughs> no, real easy yeah. no but it uh anyway so thank thank you again billy for joining us yeah that was great um, do you have anything else you want to talk about just real quick the the new jerseys oh yeah. you want to talk about the new jerseys mike okay i the, like them the, overall the Brooklyn, the Brooklyn, the, the, the Brooklyn. no the no vowels but i guess the there's Brooklyn. a y a Y in there? Um, yeah, I like them. I think it needs more info. I'll say it. I'll say, I've said it before. I'll say it again. Constant info. Got to have more info. I want like 500% more info. Um, I like them just fine. I would have liked something a little bit more adventurous, but I understand the brand, and I'm behind the brand. Well, I'm not actually, but uh, I support it enough. I like the fit. Um, big, I'm big into like how things fit. Somehow the yeah. San Antonio Spurs jerseys still fit like, like crud. They still look... I don't know, flat or like. I I also wonder if that's the color. Um, my wife is walking in here. Hello, yeah. hello again. I was just reading. Uh, I forget who was. Uh, this is bad, but they did a ranking of the new jerseys, whatever. And Charlotte Hornets, which has their disgusting. Was it the ringer? Second. Yeah, I know. I like, why are we going to give up okay. on this? On this, just because it's purple, it's nice or something? No, it, can we pause? No, I like them just fine. But so they're middle of the road with with very loud colors. But here's the th- here's the thing. The yeah. type is gross. The yes, the basic fit is gross. It, the only thing that's interesting about it is the 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 color. The color scheme is interesting, but the it's the ba- most basic form. Like you guys have a hornet. Let's get some exciting, st- like stabbing pincer 
thingy. Dude, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to stop. I'm going to stop pretending like I like the color scheme, too. Like, you can get a couple, like, a slightly less loud version of teal or purple. The, the two of them together, it's a bit much. Let's be honest. They look, okay, they do look fine on a basketball court. Like, I think the contrasting color on the basketball court is interesting. It's not classic. I mean, I obviously everyone has an affinity towards it because of the starter jacket era that we grew up in. Yeah, I get. See, that's the, exactly and it. I because had it's it, not the washed out version of that. It's the new, it's the new Photoshop edgy. version of yeah. it with, like, way too many colors. What do you think like, of the Timberwolves? Because they're doing the same thing. Oh, I like that. I kind of like the Timberwolves one. I do like that. I like the, uh, the Hawks one, too. I think the Hawks one's great. The Hawks one is way improved. But I still think the Hawks have a really good color scheme because they can be that bold red and yellow like spl- highlighter yellow or they can or they can go white with the classic hawk yeah. the circular hawk they do have a logo. lot to work with there they have a lot to work with uh the lakers are just not even trying not but there. that's fine they have a classic you know, uniform. The, the one Celtic that i did Curtis. the one that i did agree with was the pistons it has have oh the saddest alternate that's disgusting yeah. and they they have a, a beautiful past of disgusting uniforms the, yeah. the maroon and yeah the, the stallion well, coming I mean, that, pist- that one's only nice now at the time it was Disgusting, disgusting, yeah. and it's still disgusting. Yeah, but like, <laughs> ironically disgusting. Yeah, like Vancouver Grizzlies, disgusting. Um, I'm trying to think what really stood out to me. The Wizards are horrible. I'm a Wizards fan, and that was the Detroit was, Pistons jersey reminds me of like. Let's bring it up now. Like when you have like, if you've ever played like AAU, and some dad shells out for like custom jerseys, whatever. That's what they look like. They look like the like. <laughs> have the, you seen kids' jerseys these days? I mean, these kids today jerseys, but like. They're insane in terms of the like. So my my little nephews are on soccer teams, and yeah. they look like Premier League soccer. Jerseys. I saw this. I was watching one of Lamelo, one of these, one of the Ball oh, brothers don't, don't, don't talk to me things on on, on uh, YouTube, and they played against a team that was it was like the Compton Commandos or something, and they were wearing actual um, what do they call it camouflage. Um, on their high school jerseys, which is pretty cool. Which is, I mean, awesome. It's like yeah. you know, of, like if you're playing, it's like Mighty Duck Two, you know, Mighty, Mighty Ducks Two, or like there's like a you know, everyone's got like a gimmick, which is great. But you know, what's when Mighty I, when Ducks Two's gimmick? You know, every team is like it's an evil team, or it's like a you know, a, I don't know. Well, Iceland. <laughs> I just foreign, love how just foreign. Who thought in the MD Two uh, <laughs> writers Iceland room that the, was that Iceland's yeah. the evil? <laughs> that they're the evil empire compared <laughs> yeah. to America? Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, there are. 150,000 people on it and all of the 15 year olds evil all evil what do you think about the pacers i think the pacers are maybe the most interesting that is the most i think it's a classic sort of if you haven't seen it it's indiana as a semicircle up and pacers as a semicircle down around the number i think i like it a lot i like it a lot too It, it it's different it fits in. They have pinstripes. Love pinstripes. Give me more. Oklahoma City is getting a ton of press for being awesome, and it's just fine. It's whatever. It's I think, about. but I think that what it is is that it's most improved. Memphis, Memphis one is stinks. trash. I don't want to talk about. Look Memphis. at how tiny that font is, okay. Michael. But but Oklahoma City's most improved. Their jerseys have been bad, 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 and that is the most improved. The Oklahoma City with like, if you haven't seen it again, it's the slightly uh, the top half of it is slightly off from the bottom. I do like Brooklyn's. Brooklyn's look. It Sorry. looks clean. Say it correct, Mike. It's Brooklyn. Is that the accent that I should have? I'm from there, so I know. Aren't you from like Carteret or some Brooklyn? Some Brooklyn. Some town. Keep going down. The Knicks. Carteret. The, Knicks, what did you the Knicks looks really good. It's all I white. Do, I do. I kind of. I kind of do like. But them. I kind of think all white is always like. If you kind of do that, it's going to look good. If you do like a bold font behind it, we don't have to go through all of them. But it's the Clippers are still horrible. The Raptors are fine. <laughs> Pelicans suck. Uh, 
good. Boom, boom. Good. Dallas is awful. Is... Nuggets are awful. Magic is. I do like the Trailblazers. They're getting kind of buried here. I don't understand it. Well, I think it's just because it does look like a tire going. But so across. what? It looks nice. The, the, but that red is going to be beautiful in the rose garden. See, that's what it is. A diffused red. This is what this is what the Charlotte Hornets need to take note of. A diffused red. Matte red. What do you think about the Cavs? The Cavs is if you again, everything if you about the Cavs it, is disgusting. Okay. Let's be, like, except sure. for when they wear the Hoosiers, like the fake Hoosiers thing. Yeah, I mean, well, uh, I mean it's uh, like the Indiana has the real uh, fake Hoosiers thing, but the Cavs is a big C with uh, sort of diagonal lines meeting in the middle, uh, like a like a diagonal pinstripe in a way, but not. Yeah, no, whatever you do. All right, we can't we can't go through all okay. these. Mike. It's and, we, we've, we and the Pistons are last one. Okay, so that was our Billy King interview. Thank you for listening. If you want to hear more Glue Guys, uh, go to iTunes and search the Glue Guys. Yeah, is that the way to do it? Five star rating on that, please. Yes. If you can, if you could take the time to do that, that would be so helpful. So helpful. Um, for and us. there's other helpful things you can do too. Just um, send us money. You could just like send us send money. us a box, a shoebox full of we'll quarters. It. We'll donate the money. Yeah. Um, anyways, um, yeah. So almightyballer.com. Also, if you're a fan, if you happen to be a fan of another team, somehow you can go check out that. Yeah, or if you like, were a Celtics fan that listened to this podcast, yeah. just as a, yeah. just to hear about how just, awesome. Just as you're. a, <laughs> I saw a guy a real quick. I saw a guy. I was going to actually talk to him. He looked homeless, but he was wearing a Nets hat and a Celtic shirt. What is happening? Do you, I do think he did that on like obviously he put Nets it on on purpose. Hat, Celtic shirt, Nets hat, Celtic shirt. Here's the thing: who's that human? I I have a thing. Okay, so I, I often wear my Nets hat, like you know, I walking around town. Rebbing I like I like to have a hat on, and I just happen to have Nets hats. Um, and then I also have this old, this really old T-shirt that's a Pistons T-shirt um, that just feels mm, really color? nice. It's it was from when I played uh, middle school basketball, bitty basketball. And it's like it's not like it's pretty it's a T-shirt. It's a T-shirt, and it has and it has initials on the back that aren't mine, and then a okay. number like a number like forty-eight or something. <laughs> like a really, <laughs> like a totally a classic <laughs> basketball number. Yeah, everyone's favorite right. number. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so that I'm wondering if if it's possible that it's like one of those situations. It was mm. was it a jersey? The no, thing? no, it's just a, the most basic Celtic shirt. Yeah. You know, like a, you didn't see the back though. I t- I mean, th- it wasn't a jersey. I'm gonna tell you, it was a T-shirt. It wasn't. You didn't see the. Back, it wasn't Mike. the block lettering Celtics. It was the the logo, the yeah. the Irishman. That is a weird. That is a weird person. Whoever he is, like yeah. I wouldn't. I would do that with Pistons and Nets because they're just two totally yeah. unrelated things. Yeah, you can't. Yeah. Uh, you, there's no fault there. All right. Well, thank uh, you. Yeah, take us out. So iTunes, AllMadeyBallerRadio.com. Check out AllMadeyBaller.com. NetsDaily.com. That's the big one. Seasons around the corner. Yes, we're getting fired up for this season, Mike. I we're, am. We're gonna do. You're not. Twice a week. Yeah, 100% of the time. Um, Okay, bye everybody. Thank you for listening.